0: This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Start your journey to becoming a great developer at learn.thoughtbot.com.
1: Giant robots
0: smashing into other giant robots.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. It is Tuesday, October 8th. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Jeff Atwood. Hey, Jeff, how's it going?
0: Uh, Pretty good. Thanks for having me.
1: So Jeff, you are the uh, author behind Coding Horror and creator of Stack Exchange and most recently of Discourse, one of the founders of Discourse.
0: That's all correct.
1: Yeah. So uh, for people that might not be familiar with uh, your latest project, can you give a quick description of Discourse?
0: Sure. Discourse is a next-generation forum software. It's a free, 100% open-source project designed to give people forums that essentially don't suck that they can deploy somewhere that they can be proud of Mm -hmm. that aren't an embarrassment to the Internet like the rest of the forum software in the world.
1: Yeah. And I I like that you said one of your goals, or your goal is to to raise the standard of civilized discourse on the Internet through seeding it with better discussion software.
0: Well, that's right, because the software does mold people's behavior to some Mm -hmm. extent. And one of the failings of existing forum software is not that it's uniformly bad because it is, But that they view it as a blank slate where they just give you a box to type in and they put these boxes together on the page and they don't give you any guidance about like how you should be interacting with other people, the way you should be talking, um, how do we tell other people that they're out of line, what standards do we have, do we even have standards. It's like this weird libertarian paradise online where everybody can do whatever they want, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not really true, first of all. And second, if you want a sustainable community, you have to have some rules. And the software can help you figure that out. And moderation from the community is, is, I think, the way this works best, where the people of the community set the standards. And every community has different standards. There's no one universal way to behave in a community. But the community should have the ability to police and enforce their own standards. And the software should help them do this, rather than just saying, okay, well, you've got to find a moderator, The moderator has to be there. The moderator has to know what they're doing. You see a lot of forums that just have absentee moderators, Mm, mm -hmm. people who set them up and just basically walk away, Mm -hmm. and things get very toxic as a result because the community is sitting there stewing with maybe some bad apples in the bunch, and those bad apples eventually do poison the barrel because no one's there to intervene. Mm. The community is basically powerless to deal with the bad apples in their own community. And discourse is set up in such a way that if you deploy Discourse, there's a bunch of people that use it. They eventually accrete uh, enough powers that they can police their own community to a very, very strong degree, actually. Like, they can definitely keep spam out. We have this one forum. I don't know if you've heard of this stuff, Soylent. Mm-hmm. Yep. Not the movie concept, although it's related, I guess. Right, the food product. In tongue-in-cheek way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's discourse.soylent.me. And mm-hmm. Soylent.me is where you can learn about what Soylent is. And it's a really interesting, geeky sort of thing. I like it. Like, I personally would not do it at all, Mm -hmm. uh, but I appreciate that it's super geeky. It's people geeking out over recipes and nutritional formulas and just aspects of their life where it's like, now I have to no longer slow down to eat. I can just eat this bag of fluid, and then I'm good to go for the rest of the day or whatever. It's just kind of fun in a very geeky way. So I I appreciate the subject matter, even though I wouldn't necessarily use it myself. And this forum is a good example of where they set it up, they had good intentions, and they basically walked away. I mean, they've kind of been uh, like helping a little bit, but they essentially walked away. And the beautiful thing about it was the p- community is very avid there, very avid community of essentially geeks, right? So they love software, they love all this stuff. And they police their own community. Hmm. They kick out the spam. <laughs> they sort of bring people in line that are just getting like way off topic about like GMOs and stuff mm-hmm. I don't know if you know the whole GMO argument it just never ends well mm-hmm. uh, uh, my wife is a scientist and I, sometimes I taunt her by bringing up GMO discussions and, like you can hear the eye rolling from like miles away like when I mail her it's like look GMO discussion she's like oh God uh. yeah so those those kind of discussions they can sort of nip in the bud rather than having them just like become so toxic that everybody starts fighting and then everybody hates each other and mm-hmm. the whole thing just falls apart. Um, they can kind of police all that stuff. And we saw that actually work. It was very, very encouraging. I think that's the first discourse forum where I've seen that happen.
1: You kind of did this, this sort of first started with Stack Exchange, right? Like Stack Exchange seems to operate on the same model where people become closer and closer to ha- being moderators themselves as they use the site.
0: Yes. So it, it's a similar model. The main difference is that Stack Exchange and, and of course Stack Overflow, the, the flagship site on Stack Exchange, is by far the largest, mm. is, is community-driven, but it's also Q&A. And one of the reasons I wanted to do discourse after leaving Stack Exchange was first because nobody was really doing anything about the forum problem. I mean, there's a lot of really good information on the internet. Like, I, every week, almost every day, really, I get a search hit on a forum that contains something useful to me. And I may have to dig a little bit to get to it, but the, the nugget of information is actually there. It's just a question of how how deep do I have to dig... <laughs> Through the sediment, if you will, to get to this nugget uh, of information in this forum. So the information is there, and it's sort of good people trapped in bad software. And every time I see a forum that loads slowly, that you know, just has tons of just noise on the page where I can't even, I can barely even tell where the information is. There's like signatures, there's avatars that are dancing, there's ads all over the place. It's just a really unpleasant what I call pawn shop area of town. It's like pawn shops and tattoo parlors. You know, there might be really interesting people that live there, but are you going to want to go there? Because <laughs> it's kind of a seedy area of town. Bars on all the windows. Stuff like that. So discourse is an effort to say, look, let's spruce up the town. Let's build modern, modern software uh, from a web perspective. You know, just, you know, infinite scrolling, uh, heavy JavaScript stuff. In fact, we're really a JavaScript application. We're not even really HTML in that sense at all. We're basically a ball of JavaScript that goes down to the browser. So we're kind of building for the next ten years of the internet. We're we're assuming that tablets are going to come very very dominant, which dominant, which I deeply believe is going to be true. So we have a very touch friendly UI from the get go. None of this is afterthoughts. All the stuff you would install as plugins on forums is built into Discourse for the most part. You can log in with Google. You can log in with Facebook. You can log in with Twitter. All that stuff is just built in. You know to install 50,000 plugins to get things to work in a reasonably modern way. So, and it's open source, meaning you can just take it, go to GitHub right now today, take this course, install it. Now, granted, it's still a little complicated of an install which we're working on, but you know, we've been doing this less than a year. We started in February. So, give it some time. But that is the goal is to replace all these bad neighborhoods with with good neighborhoods because I love the discussions that go on. And they are truly discussions. Where on Stack Exchange it's Q and A, which is directed data and science-based discussion. It's not really about opinions. It's not about what's the coolest Java function you've ever seen. This is a bad question for Stack Overflow. I hope everyone listening understands Stack Overflow enough to know that that would be a very bad question to ask on Stack Overflow because a it's unanswerable. What does best even mean? Or coolest? What does coolest even mean? Um, how do you quantify that? What does it mean? And what, what problem are you trying to solve? How does it help you as a programmer to know what the coolest Java function is? And people love this stuff, right? We would have fights about this all the time. I mean, knock down, drag out, I'm going to kill you, I hate your whole family fights about, why can't I ask this question? Because I learned stuff. When people posted the five coolest keywords in, in Java, I learned something. And they're not wrong, but it's, a, it's, it's random learning. It's learning by accident, and that is not a behavior that we support in Stack Overflow and Stack Exchange. Stack Overflow and Stack Exchange are directed learning sites, not random walks through Reddit where you might learn something about a manatee as you click through a bunch of links. That is not directed learning. These are different things. So there was a lot of education that had to go on around the purpose of Q&A sites, the way Stack Exchange does them. And they're very much classroom-type scenarios. The teacher is the person who asked the question, kind of, although everyone's really teachers in the scenario. You're, you're learning from each other, your peers. But the point is you're all looking at the question, thinking, how can I answer this question? You know, you're you not thinking, I want to talk to answer number three <laughs> and ask him why he thinks that function is appropriate. You know, That's not the purpose of Stack, Stack Overflow. The purpose is to answer the freaking question. like Save us from the diatribe. Save us from the opinions. Give us facts. Give us data. Give us science. And support your answer. Right? And actually answer the question that was asked. That's the way it works. But this is not a discussion scenario. If you're, if you're on a site where it's very social, it's not about data, it's not about facts, it's not about science, it's about hanging out and just talking about stuff and building community, then you're going to hate Stack Overflow. <laughs> you're going to hate Stack Exchange because that's not what those sites are about. Those are really school-type scenarios, you know, student, teacher, and again, peer-learning scenarios. I don't mean like a teacher, but like you're all teaching each other. You should be in the room because you want to learn something you want to teach other people. That's, that's why you should go to a Stack Exchange site. But if you walk down the street in any neighborhood, your neighborhood, my neighborhood, doesn't matter, how many schools do you see as you walk down the street? Do you see a school on every street corner? <laughs> Probably not. You'll see schools. Schools are important. But you're going to see a lot more places for people to socialize, like coffee shops you know, and restaurants. Right. Places for people to socialize and hang out and meet and just you know, shoot the shit. And that's what most of the web is, just like the real world. Most of the, the web is not classrooms. Most of the web is not colleges and community colleges and high schools. So that's the effort of discourse to say, look, we want to attack the problem of there's not really good places to, to socialize with words, with paragraphs. And to me, like, that is so fundamental to the Internet. It's like the Internet is paragraphs. It is words. I love pictures. Don't get me wrong. We have awesome support for pictures in discourse. But fundamentally, I love paragraphs. They can be short paragraphs. (laughs) One is a classroom. You know, the other is basically a dinner party. And you have interesting conversations at the dinner party that may not have any particular point, but you will love those conversations and you will love those people because they're interesting, right?
1: Yeah. It's interesting that you're tackling this thing that feels like a person problem with software and and that it's working.
0: It's too early to say that it's actually working. I've seen it work. Uh, A lot of the theories that we have, I believe, are very well supported. We have this guy, um, uh, Randy Farmer, who did a lot of early work, way back to the... He, he basically wrote the first massively multiplayer online game on the Commodore 64 <laughs> called Habitat. There's a really interesting article about Habitat that I think everyone should read that, that is interested in these sort of topics. And he's been thinking about this stuff for a long time. He worked on Yahoo Answers. He worked on a bunch of stuff. And um, It's just a little bit trickier to handle the opinion cases because opinions aren't really fundamentally right or wrong. And you're not really obligated to back up your opinion with data, facts, and science. I mean, you can... But that's not really the point of the conversation. I mean, you would quickly get annoyed at somebody at a dinner party who was running around going, citation needed every time you said something, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, dude, it's, it's a dinner party. I don't have to give you a citation. That's not the point of what we're doing here. I mean, I might mention where I heard this, right? That's reasonable. But don't make me go, you know, open an encyclopedia to prove a point to you or research a, a bunch of stuff. So it becomes trickier to manage, like – rudeness essentially like how are we treating each other like you can disagree and still be agreeable right and that is where it tends to break down because no one intercedes the software doesn't help you so eventually you just have two guys and of course it's always guys yelling at each other and that poisons the room because once you have people yelling it's like an argument it's a fight nobody really wants to be uh, at a party where everybody's like actually in fist fights, right <laughs> so it's like you need the invisible hand of moderation and you need to empower the people at this dinner party to step in and, and assist in these scenarios and give them the tools and show them how to do it right let them know that it's okay to step in and say whoa 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 guys 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 you know we're just having a party here it's just a conversation you know let's let's be reasonable about this right because on the internet you know it's easy to get very up in arms about stuff that ultimately you know doesn't really matter that much there's nothing really at stake and but nobody's reminding you of this. You get all tied up in it. It's, it's, it's kind of silly. So we've seen it work. I wouldn't say it's proven, but we have a really good set of theory that I believe in that I think is going to work. And I've seen signs that it's working.
1: Yeah, there seems to be an interesting application of like the broken windows theory here too, where if you go to a forum, uh, go to a forum and it looks crappy, then you're, you're going to tend to use it differently than one that it looks good and has a good experience as you use it like you might be able, you're going to be able to affect the quality of the discourse by the quality of the forum.
0: Right, and that works on a couple different levels. One is the quality of the software, meaning does it look like the web circa 1999, like most forums. So you already feel like you're sort of in a backwater. You don't really need to behave in a way that you're in a modern place. You've gone back in a time machine. So who cares about these people? These people are cavemen. They're living in the past, right? Mhm. <laughs> so that's one level. The other level is if you see people constantly arguing People calling each other, you know, fags and who knows what else, right? Like that just stands uncontested, right? Nobody's saying this is wrong. This stuff just sits there. It's what I call toxic waste in the community. where nobody's cleaning up all the toxic waste, people get the idea, well, this is a place I go to dump toxic waste, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's what everybody else is doing here. So you're absolutely right about that. And you've got to start off on the right foot. And discourse comes with a... You know the name of the company actually is Civilized Discourse Construction Kit Incorporated. That's the legal name of the company that we founded. Um, we have a a fact that sort of guides you through this and says, look, if you're going to start a community, we believe that you want to base it on these precepts of of how you talk to other people and what you say, and you know just being essentially kind to each other at some level, and 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 enforcing that right from the get go. Most forum software would tell you, here's how you make something bold. But it won't tell you, you know, how do I get rid of a troll? Yeah. And, and what do you really have a problem with on a forum? Do you really have problems where people can't figure out how to make things bold? It's not really your problem on the forum, is it?
1: Definitely not. You had um, a good post uh, about the rule of three for reusable components. And the gist was you, you don't really, you can't really prove to yourself that what you have is going to be something reusable until it's been tested in three different ways. Uh, And you talk about a couple applications of that, but one of which is with Discourse in particular, uh, you guys are looking for, I think you've actually acquired your third, three people to host Discourse uh, for, uh, big communities or or varied communities to test that on so that you can test your theory of, have we built something reusable here? Is this a forum that will work in a a wide variety of of applications?
0: Right. And one of the tricks with forums is they are very versatile building blocks of, of communication on the internet. There's a lot of situations where just having a free-form forum where people can type paragraphs to each other or, you know, sentences doesn't actually have to be a free paragraph and form some kind of community are really fundamental to a lot of experiences on the Internet. I mean, the Internet to me was always about letting your freak flag fly and just figuring mm-hmm. out what it is that you liked and finding other people that like that stuff and then hanging out with them and talking about it and, you know. And I always found I had this weird experience where I, I, I still play a lot of games. I have very a lot of reservations about gamer culture at the moment, and I have for a long time. But I love video games, right? And I always have. That's how I got to be a programmer and all that stuff. But I found that I would play games on my computer. I still do this, and I'll play games. And then I get really excited because playing the game is fun. But then going and talking about the game with other people that play the game is almost as fun as the game itself to me. Totally. Where it's like you share these experiences, and then they become real, right? Like, I, I did this thing, and oh, my God, it was so cool. And, and you got to go talk about it because that's what makes it a tangible thing. Mm. And I noticed that games come and go. Like, you know, whatever the hot game is from five years ago, nobody cares anymore, right? It's ancient history. Uh, but the game of talking to other people about what you're doing and enjoying that is, is very universal. Yeah. And I love that game. Um, In many ways, that's, like, the best game I've ever played, and it's the one I'm going to play for the rest of my life. So that's the one you want to optimize for, and that's what discourse is kind of about is, like, how can I set this up in such a way that I can just give this solution to people and say, hey, here's an awesome set of software for setting up a community where you can share these experiences, because that is the human experience, right, sharing what's happening to you. And it doesn't have to be about on Stack Overflow and Stack Exchange it didn't work because you can't really, it's not about data, facts, and science. It's just about, you know, this cool thing happened to me. You know, you're just relating an experience.
1: I think it's an interesting model that you guys have chosen with this. Uh, it's kind of a nice win-win for the world where Discourse is an open source tool. Uh, so, you know, we as the world get an open source fo- open-source forum that we can take and, you know, do with as we want. Uh, and you guys also get help building it from the open source community.
0: That's right. And... Going back to what I said about being a very general purpose building block, it has to fit a lot of different needs. Um, so it needs to be fairly customizable. It's what we call a rainbow system. So if you look at the Discourse logo, there's, there's a rainbow in there, which is very intentional because the, our thinking was that this is a spectrum of, of all the different communities that are going to use the software. They're going to use it in sometimes different ways. So we try to be very, very customizable. We're not quite there yet, but we, we, we have planned for that in terms of you know, skinning, theming. Um, tons of configuration options. There's like you know a million and one settings that you can turn on and off. Um, and uh, of course that it's open source because you own it. It's your community. It's your clubhouse. It doesn't belong to Facebook. It doesn't belong to Twitter. It doesn't belong to you know some other hosting company. It belongs to you and your community and you set it up and you get to make that clubhouse into whatever you want it to be. That is a very fundamental right on the internet and I, I, I would hate to see a world where, you know, most discussion moves to Facebook. I mean, I'm sure there will be tons, but and I have no, you know, I'm, I'm fine with Facebook. But, I, you know, I want everyone to have their own thing. And I want them to have a prefab clubhouse that rocks, that's so good that people say, wow, I could do this on Facebook, but I'm going to do it on Discourse because it's so much cooler. And it's mine. I set it up in my backyard and look at this huge, awesome thing I built. Everybody come check it out, right? Yeah. Self-expression.
1: And, and that, that customizability, actually, I, I mean, I have to imagine helps uh, drive people adopting it. Like, f- for instance, uh, we actually run a, a discourse instance to, uh, for our subscribers, and uh, you currently have plugin functionality that lets you do what we did then, but at, at the time, you couldn't have a custom OAuth endpoint. Uh, and but, so we're like, well, we really want, don't, don't want people to have to create a new account, but since it's open source, we can just take a day and hack this in there. Uh, and we did. And it was, the fact that we could do that was really what pushed it over the edge for us to actually try you guys out. And now there's a much more elegant solution for this, which we've actually adopted. Uh, you have a plug-in system. But the fact that we could actually get, we knew we could get in there and, and hack on this as we needed to was, uh, was huge for us. It was paramount. Yeah.
0: Well, you guys don't want to own your community. I mean, it's a very natural feeling to have. And I think it should be encouraged. I think everybody should own their own community. I mean, if you want to pay us to host it or someone else to host it, that's fine. But I think you should have the choice to, to do it that way or, or do it yourself. And we do try... So, so being open source is, uh, of course, a double-edged sword in terms of you get pulled in different directions Like people want certain features. But we do try to identify common things that people are asking for and common reasons people feel like they need to customize the code right and try to build those in so that they don't have to do that because i've always felt for a long time that one way to design software like the firefox model where you have all these plugins eventually becomes kind of unsustainable you're seeing this now with firefox where they're they're really backing off the entire plugin architecture (laughs) because there's so many plugins and there's so many like conflicting situations. You see this a little bit with WordPress, too, where there's a lot of vulnerabilities based on, like, the 10,000 plugins everybody installs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there's sort of a balancing act, but my feeling is you want to take basically the top 10, top 20 things people are installing and build those into the software so that they're not actually plugins, right? They're actually core, and they can be debugged, they can be troubleshot, they can be, you know, delivered in a really sane fashion. If if it's off-the-beaten-path functionality you need, yeah, sure, please, plug-in it up, right? But if everybody that installs WordPress, for example, is installing that super caching plugin, <laughs> that's a huge red flag to me. That Like, look, you're screwing up. <laughs> if everybody installs super caching, then you guys need a better caching solution built into the core product. That's crazy. And, and uh, Captcha, for example. like I feel like every comment system needs Captcha. And I guess WordPress has their uh, a kismet system, but it's not really the same as a Captcha. It's just more like a distributed blacklist, which is kind of dubious value sometimes. So anyway, that's my theory of design of software: is look at what people feel like they have to install as a plugin, identify the commonalities, and build that in over time. And just keep doing that until you get sort of the top ten, top twenty built in. And that's the strategy we're going to take at discourse. It's like it should be rare for you to need a plugin, but they're there if you need them. Theming, I think, is a much bigger thing in terms of just putting a visual stamp on the style. That I think needs to be much more robust
1: uh, compared to how it is right now.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Right now it's it's I mean it's kind of there. <laughs> we're still to be honest, we're still figuring out the theming for ourselves. <laughs> yeah. You know, cuz Discourse is not a 1.0 product yet. We we as you mentioned earlier, we we have uh two partners. We have howtogeek.com, boingboing.net, which is awesome. And then a third partner that's unannounced that's coming this month or next month that people will have heard of. It's, it, and once we get through those three partners, we'll have a, a, a feeling that, okay, we've, with these three different communities, they're all functioning on discourse in a reasonable manner. So that's, that's the rule of three that you were alluding to, is, is try it in three different communities and make sure those three communities are happy. And then you can say, hey, this is actually reusable. If a community number three can adapt to this, the odds of community number four, five, and six adapting are much higher than if I came to you with a brand new piece of software and said, look, I've never used this anywhere before, but I think it's going to work for you. Like, the odds are low. <laughs> and we've built tons of really, really cool stuff for Boing Boing. We built, How To Geek has been an awesome partner. He's, he's got some really great thoughts about form software and how it works. He's been really essential in getting things together. And for the third partner, I can tell you one thing we're building is subcategories. Right now we have one level of categorization, and we'd always kind of planned to have two, but we're just waiting until we need it, and now we need it, so we'll be building that out. So if you come in as number four or number hundred, you'll get subcategories before version one point zero because we needed it for partner number three.
1: Have you been happy with the pace of the project? Oh yeah, very actually.
0: We've gotten lots. If you can go, you can go to github.com/discourse/discourse, and you can see the level of contributions we got, the check-ins, and I mean, it's been amazing. The Ruby community in particular is is really great, very friendly, uh, very collaborative. We've contributed tons of upstream patches, upstream patches to Rails, upstream patches to Markdown.js, um, tons and tons of upstream patches. So it's nice to be in this, this virtuous cycle of projects making each other better. And our goal really is to be a killer app in terms of not just, okay, I need a forum, the best forum out there is Discourse, the most modern if you can deal. Now the one caveat is we are very modern and that means we, we really don't support IE8 at all. <laughs> Um, IE9 almost works but they didn't get push state in there which cripples us which means the URL never changes. If you if you fire up IE9 which I'm sure nobody reading this will ever do but if you did <laughs> and went to a discourse forum the URL will never ever change <laughs> because we can't in JavaScript change the URL with push state. So we barely support IE9 and our system requirements are very very high. We're, we're really building for the next 10 years of the internet. I wasn't joking about that when I said that. I have to explain that to people. I think they treat it like marketing hyperbole like oh sure you're building for the next 10 years so this will work with all our browsers right i'm like no it won't actually (laughs) the next Uh, 10 years yeah you know this is year one you understand that right year one of 10 uh yeah so that that's where the project is at and you know I, i i the approach we chose again was the ball of javascript approach so it's it's this giant package of JavaScript that comes down and just, just assembles all the HTML on the fly and talks to the server on the fly.
1: This is an Ember app, right?
0: Yeah, it's Ember. That's right.
1: Have you guys been happy with, with that?
0: Uh, we have. And again, upstream patches, right? We've contributed tons of uh, performance work to Ember. Um, I think some also design stuff. Uh, the Ember forums themselves are on Discourse because that's a nice relationship for us to host the Ember forums because you know we're, we're a preeminent Ember app. But we want to be a killer app for Ruby as well, in the sense that I, I want to move us away from a world where everything is PHP and MySQL, simply because that's what's on the server. You know, as I called it at the talk, server herpes. You know, that's what the server has, therefore that's what we got to use. And these are not really good tools anymore. I mean, MySQL is kind of poisoned because of the whole Oracle thing, and the whole MariaDB. I mean, it's just gotten weird. And PHP was never really a good tool. I mean, it works. You know, you can do stuff with it, but it's just not a great tool. It just isn't. Anybody who knows anything about programming has any experience of multiple language will tell you that PHP is just not really that good. <laughs> it's not a tool that you really want to seek out <laughs> to use. Uh, whereas Ruby, I think, is. Ruby is a very interesting language. A lot of people really like it. It's not perfect by any means, but it's, it's thoughtful. It's a thoughtful language that's interesting to programmers that are working in it. And Postgres is a a great database, you know, fully open source, um, has a lot of interesting capabilities, uh, and you want this stack, like the, the idea that people should be comfortable with, I'm going to install Ruby on my server, I'm going to install Postgres on my server, because that's what Discourse needs, and I'm okay with that. Or push their hosting providers, like, look, you guys need to support Ruby and Postgres because I need to set up Discourse. This is very much a goal of the project. To become a killer app and drive adoption of better platform tooling. So, I mean, it's not a primary goal. It's like a secondary goal. But it's definitely there. And we do think about it. And we try to make Ruby easier to deploy, you know, better performance. Uh, Sam's been doing a ton of really interesting work with the, the, the Ruby team and the Rails team to sort of nudge that stuff along. Like, right now, we have to do, set a manual, like, <sighs> garbage collection memory allocation. I forget the exact terminology, but... At startup of Ruby, we have to give it a hint of like, look, use a larger garbage collection buffer. <laughs> and there's some patches coming to like make that. And it's insane to me that we have to do this in this day and age. Like you have to get send a hint to the language to get decent performance. <laughs> so there's, there's some stuff coming upstream that is going to do away with that. So you no longer have to do that, which again makes the setup easier and gives you better performance.
1: That's cool. I, I got to say one of the nice, the, my favorite features of discourse is that it's very fast. Oh, thank you. I think that's like absolutely like, you know, kind of, it makes it much more
0: joyful to use. It does. I mean, Sam and I came from a background of of Stack Exchange where we were pretty anal about performance, and being on a compiled language is huge. I mean, interpretive versus compile, people, I think people forget sometimes the computer science behind that, but (laughs) it's literally an order of magnitude. I mean, there's ways to fudge and cheat and stuff, which is awesome, actually. But if you just take the average interpreted language, and the average compiled language, it's easily 10 if not 100 times performance difference. It is not subtle. And people will tell you, oh, it doesn't matter because you're always waiting on the database, you're always waiting on the network. And to some extent that's true, but in practical terms, um, it matters. Like it really does produce a measurable benefit in page load times. Now you might argue that, okay, 40 milliseconds versus 150 milliseconds isn't that noticeable, and you're not wrong. I mean, that's that's a fair way to look at it. But we were regularly, we've done a whole bunch of performance work, actually, uh, recently even. Like, in fact, you should redeploy again. <laughs> you should always be a master with this course, by the way. <laughs> uh, we've been doing a lot more performance work. And I'm just now seeing on uh, bbs.boingboing.net, which is our busiest discourse instance that I go to, that uh, topic load times on Because most of what you do on discourse, there's the money page, which is the topic page. That's where you spend all your time for the most part. Right. You might be on the topic list occasionally and the categories page occasionally and the users page occasionally. But the money page in the system is the topic page where you're reading, you know, what people are posting in the topic. And I'm only now seeing that get down to like 200 milliseconds. It took us a long time (laughs) to get there. and. For comparison on Stack Overflow and Stack Exchange, I don't think I ever really saw that go over like 50 to 100 milliseconds, like even with our crappy code. So, you know, right off the bat, you know, and, and everybody on our team is a very talented programmer. Nobody's doing newbie mistakes. You're looking at an order, you know, 4 to 5x speed difference. And we've hard, worked hard to get that down to like 4x. But, you know, it, it's pretty good. 200 milliseconds I'm happy with. I think that's a number that I'm I'm pretty pleased with now.
1: Yeah, Sam gave a talk um, at uh, Goguruko about performance, and it was interesting the level uh, uh, that he had to go down to to sort of eke out some of this stuff. You guys have been doing some d- deep, very deep dives on this.
0: Yeah, one thing that's been a little frustrating, although I love the Ruby community, is, is there's this attitude of defeat and fatalism about performance. Like, well, if you wanted to be fast, you wouldn't use Ruby. And I, I really dislike that I'm really uncomfortable with that attitude because it's giving up. I, I agree. From a computer science standpoint, you're right. When you interpreting language, you're never going to get to compiled speed. But that doesn't mean you stop trying. <laughs> sure, right. I mean, that's just pathetic, right? Like, oh, we don't care about performance. This is going to be shitty, so we give up. It's like, what world is this that you guys are living? This is not, no, you don't give up. You redouble your efforts. There's always low-hanging fruit. And one of the great things about Ruby is that it's not so mature that all the performance has been eked out. I mean, quite the opposite, in fact there's a lot of low-hanging fruit in Ruby that's easy to get to where you can figure out your top three things that are taking time and just kill them or like cut them like way, way down and get massive return on, on tiny investment. Whereas the fatalism is saying, well, don't even try. It's like, well, try. You've got to try to get the benefits. And it, you can make huge strides because there's so much low-hanging fruit in Ruby. That's what we've found, is that there's not that many people looking at performance for whatever yeah. reason. Yeah. So if you just look and use the tools to sort of measure where you're spending time, you can get huge returns. And I think that's a win for everybody. And like I said, most of those go upstream, right? Like in the, in the .NET world, which is where we were in Stack Overflow and Stack Exchange, we couldn't contribute patches to .NET. <laughs> we couldn't contribute patches to hardly anything because it wasn't really a strong open source ecosystem. But Ruby is. So all this work benefits everybody. And the minute you find something, particularly if you can trace it up to the framework level, or the Ruby level, you're making it better for everybody. The more people doing this, the better it gets. I mean, this is a very virtuous cycle to be just looking at performance. Like, I, I don't agree with this fatalism, and, and I, it bothers me when I hear people say that about Ruby. Are you still involved with uh, Stack Exchange at all these days? Uh, no, I'm not involved in day-to-day stuff at Stack Overflow or Stack Exchange at all. I still have um, admin access on the, the websites themselves, like mm-hmm. moderator-level access. But I don't. I try not to interfere at this point. I mean, I observe and watch, and you know, give feedback and stuff. But that's about it.
1: Yeah. You told me earlier that you felt like you got a little bit burnt out while you were working on those.
0: Yeah. Well, that was my first, you know, startup type job, where I quit a, a, a salaried job to do a thing that I had no idea if it was going to work. You know, I uh, I hooked up with Joel Spolsky. Joel had this idea of hey something like Experts Exchange without all the evil. And I said, that's a great idea. That's a community... Because I I knew I loved community building. Like, I really enjoyed community building with software. It's something I really, really love. And that met my needs. Plus, I mean, who didn't hate Experts Exchange at that time? Although a lot of newer programmers have not heard of it, which is a huge victory. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm like, yes, we won.
1: (laughs) Right, exactly.
0: (laughs) Uh, But I spent you know i didn't have any children at the time because that profoundly changes the formula of how you spend your time it's hard to understate how how different your time will be after you have children i know people gloss over, it's like oh yeah people do stuff with kids all the time I'm like i don't know <laughs> it's not the same mm-hmm. it doesn't break you or anything but if you have this idea of i'm gonna work you know 60 hours a week and kick ass until i get it done you're not gonna do that with a kid man uh, and, but that's what I did with Stack Overflow. So I spent a lot of time just you know, all day, every day. I mean, almost literally like all day, every day. Just That's all we did was work on Stack Overflow and just this has to work because if this doesn't work, then I have to go back to a salary job and I'll be a failure, right? Huge incentive not to fail. But the good news is it was a good idea. You know, Joel has a good ideas. So I have good ideas. I mean, I like to think that we had a good idea and we had really good execution. And good execution plus a good idea equals generally success and you know i think also it helps that we were fighting an incumbent enemy where you know you had this this mustache twirling villain of experts exchange and people hated experts exchange I mean, they hated it and so to to put yourself up in opposition to a thing that is obviously evil gets people on your side and they immediately understand what you're doing because a lot of the challenge with explaining to people what you are and say, well, I'm like that guy, but not evil. And they're like, okay, I got it. <laughs> you don't spend any time explaining what you do. They're like, okay, got it. You know, I'm on board. Let's. How do we start? And discourse is like that to some extent, where we say, look, we're like all the crappy forums, but without all the crappy. <laughs> right? That you would actually want to go there. And it's actually fun to participate there. It's not painful to type everything in and do every little operation. It's excruciating, like 1999. So That's the other reason I was attracted to the project is, you know, it's righting a wrong on the Internet. And in this way, even better because it's open source. And, you know, it's one of those plainly evident things. Anybody who's used the Internet for any length of time knows forums. And I had all these discussions with people where I would talk about forums when I was building up to the project, just discussing it, figuring out what we were doing. And whenever I brought up forums to people, I never had any single person say to me, I like forums. (laughs) Nobody ever said... I love forums. (laughs) It was always like, forums, and then, you know, sad trombone, right? Because they're terrible. So that was encouraging. that People knew what I was talking about, and they immediately said, oh, yeah, forums, man, awful, right? Like, nobody said, I love forums. Can't wait to go there. Huge fan of forums. Um, It was always with huge caveats and sadness in their eyes and the thousand-yard stare of, oh, God, I have to use forums.
1: So at one point you wrote uh, on your blog – you were sort of uh, exhorting people to, to blog as well. And you said that starting writing your blog was the most important thing that you had ever done for your career. And this is a bit of an old post. Do you feel like Stack Exchange and Discourse uh, eclipse that these days?
0: Um, well, I think those are related things. I mean, I would not have met Joel and gotten to this, because the whole blog was the stepping stone to all that stuff happening. I mean... It got to a point with my blog where it was so popular that I had so much energy, I had this ball of energy of people paying attention to me. And I said, look, I have a responsibility to do something with this energy, and I don't know what it is. But I know that we can do something with this energy that's good, that will make the world better. I just know it. But I didn't know what that was. And so I started contacting people that I respected online and, and that I you know, thought might have ideas of what I could do. And one of those people was Joel. And I'm sure Joel wouldn't, really have interacted with me had he not known my blog and we had sort of met one time. So the blog is the prerequisite having the energy, the audience, to take something like Stack Overflow and really get it off to a really good start because it's it's like the old um, anecdote I've heard, like here's how you succeed in digital music distribution. If you got a band and you want to distribute your music digitally, here's how you do it successfully. Step one, be Radiohead, right? So that was my Step 1B Radiohead. It was like within my niche, I was like a little mini, mini celebrity, you know, my mm-hmm. old 15 minutes of fame. And that's what I wanted to turn into the other stuff. So I would say getting that audience, it takes a long time. I would say for the average, if you're good, you can do it in six. If you're really good, you can do it in six months. But for an average person who's just like sort of good, maybe a year, two years, it takes a long time.
1: Anything else we sh- I should ask you about that you that you don't get a chance to talk about that often?
0: Um I guess the main thing is I would really encourage people to check out discourse, you know, discourse.org. Um and see what you think and give us feedback and you know, let us know you know what you think of the project and particularly if I'm assuming a lot of people listening to this will be ruby background.
1: Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Please contribute
0: because we really want this to be a killer app for Ruby. I'm not joking about that. Like, this is an introduction where people can say, oh, i got to install PHPB or, you know, WordPress or whatever. Whatever it is people like to install on their servers all the time, we want one of those to be Ruby, and we want it to be Discourse. And that helps the entire Ruby ecosystem. And it helps, I would argue, the whole of the internet for a variety of reasons. So anything you can do to assist us in that goal, I think, is benef- hugely beneficial to Ruby. And we love doing upstream patches, right, to make the ecosystem better. So help us help you improve Ruby.
1: Well, Jeff, thank you very much for, for dropping by and chatting about all this.
0: No, you're welcome. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Cool.
1: If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash giant robots slash 70. Today's podcast was recorded and edited by Mike Manner and produced by Chad Pytel. Thanks for listening.